This is episode 274, where ultra runner and author Travis Macy interviews me about my perspectives on running, training, entrepreneurship, and more. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode features a conversation I had with ultra runner, coach, and author Travis Macy. It was originally published on his podcast, The Travis Macy Show. If you haven't yet listened, find it wherever you get your podcasts. We have a wide-ranging conversation about training staples, the differences between road and trail running, my thoughts on online business, and why I think you should never, ever say the words full marathon. All right, if you're new here, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com strengthrunning. And you can find me on Instagram at jasonfitz1. And of course, our home base is strengthrunning.com. We've been around since 2010, and we can help you with our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and our suite of training programs. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We are supported by Inside Tracker, created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data. Inside Tracker provides a personalized health analysis from the most relevant source you can find, your own body. Get your blood tested, and you'll find out the rate at which you're aging, recommendations to optimize your health, and any physiological red flags that might negatively be impacting your running. Now you can get 20% off their entire store at insidetracker.com strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning with no space. I recently scheduled an ultimate test for myself that's coming up very soon, and I also got one in back in February. So it's going to be very interesting to compare with the results I got previously. I think there is where a lot of value is with Inside Tracker. You can get yours at insidetracker.com/strengthrunning and be sure to use code strengthrunning for 20% off. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes AG1, one of the few supplements that I think are worth your time. I love this stuff. It's the most popular greens mix available with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Jason, and you can choose from a single purchase or you can set up a monthly subscription to make this part of your ongoing nutrition plan. I try to have one serving every day of AG1. It just helps me cover my bases and it gives me a nice boost of midday energy. You can see all those details at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. Okay, my guest today is Travis Macy. Travis competed at the University of Colorado Boulder under famed cross-country coach Mark Wetmore, and he competed alongside runners like Dathan Ritzenhain. We first met back in 2016, where we were speakers at the National Endurance Sports Summit at Princeton University. Travis is an ultra-endurance expert, 
author of both The Ultra Mindset and his latest, A Mile at a Time, a father and son's inspiring Alzheimer's journey of love, adventure, and hope, co-authored with his dad, Mark Macy. In this conversation, Travis takes the lead and interviews me for a varied discussion of all things running, how I got started, entrepreneurship, my kind of serious but half-joking burning hatred for the term full marathon, and a lot more. Travis is one of the nicest guys in all of Colorado, and I genuinely enjoy all of my time with him, and I hope you do too. Without further delay, please enjoy this interview with Travis Macy. Hey, Travis. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming. Yeah, it's so great to uh, to catch up with you. I haven't talked to you in quite a while. Yeah, no, it it has uh, it has been a while. I really appreciate it. Is um, wait, my video wasn't working, was it? Yeah, let's. There you are. Boom. Here we are. Boom. Yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking I was thinking about that myself. I, I remember clearly it was like eight or nine years ago. I was living in Evergreen. You were in Denver uh, where you still are. Um, you came up and uh, I don't know how somehow you found that I was a Hoka runner or something. And and you came up to Evergreen and we shared some miles together on the trail around Elk Meadow. Uh, and then we recorded this little video about uh, overtraining and, and kind of how to avoid overtraining. And um, I remember it fondly and I was... Uh, <coughs> it struck me like, man, this guy, he's like, he's building a YouTube and he's like, he's got a good camera. And like, this guy's, you know, not only is a nice guy and a good runner, but he's, uh, he's ahead of the game. Uh, and I mean, you've done great with it. If we look back, you know, now almost 10 years ago, like in some ways that's not too long, but in some ways, when you talk about having kids, raising kids, different stages of kids, uh, different, uh, you know, we've been kind of, we've both been making our way through our our thirties and, and there's a lot of, uh, growth, career growth, et cetera. Um, and, and, and now I look at, you know, your platform strength running. I mean, I think you've created what's one of probably the most, uh, prominent running information sources, uh, out on the big wide internet. Wow. Travis, I feel like I should be paying you to say all these nice things. about. <laughs> I uh, think it's all true. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, man. Uh, I, I, yeah, I remember that day. It was right after the, uh, the, the Ness conference at Princeton that we were both mm, at. That's and, okay. I forgot that we met there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We initially met there and I was like, oh my goodness, you live not too far from me. It's yeah. not like you flew in from a different state or anything. Yep. So I was like, yeah, we got to go for a run. And then I was like, oh, I've definitely bit off more than I could chew. Uh, I remember struggling to keep up with you and like, be like, okay, this is supposed to be an easy run. I'm just going to try to run easy. I think we got in about nine or 10 miles, but it was a great elk meadow trail uh, trip that we took. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. And, and, uh, and just for the record, if, if we were to do a flatter road run, I am very confident that I, uh, would struggle to keep up with you <laughs> under, <laughs> under just about any oh. circumstances. I, I'm, I really love like 745, eight minute mile pace these days. Mm. So I'm not breaking any speed records. Uh, 745 is sounding faster and faster, uh, to me. <laughs> yeah, that's in Denver on flat ground. Yeah, well. no, still, I, I, even on, yeah, even on the flat ground. Um, but yeah, so Jason, tell us, uh, give the listeners, you know, a quick intro, you, you yourself, your running journey, uh, your current interests, you know, what should, what should they know about you? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I've been a runner for my entire life. I, 
started running as a freshman in high school, you know, going out for the cross country team. You know, I always like to tell the story that I, I thought I was going to be able to high jump, which was hilarious because <laughs> I was like five foot one. Mm -hmm. I just thought cross country was like track. So, hey, there'd be field events, right? So I showed mm -hmm. up in basketball shoes and long mesh shorts and very <laughs> quickly learned that, my God, all the all, all these people do is run. Mm -hmm. But luckily, I really fell in love with the team, my coach improvement, progress. I just loved it from a, the very beginning of my career as a runner. And, you know, uh, I, I never was good enough to go run at a highly competitive D1 school or, or run professionally. You know, that didn't really matter to me. I just wanted to be able to push myself to see what I could do and and really just kind of discover my potential as a runner. And I, and I think that journey is one of the more exciting journeys that we can have as athletes. Mm -hmm. And I kept going, you know, I ran cross country, indoor track, outdoor track, all four years of high school, all four years of college. And I always knew that I wanted to do something in the running space. Um, while most of my running buddies stopped running after college and they were working, you know, putting on, <laughs> putting on way too many pounds. And, and like, it was interesting because some of them never took a step after they graduated. Mm -hmm. And I just loved running so much. I just felt like I can still get faster. I still like doing this. I enjoyed the process of training. So I just kept training and, and, you know, got into some of the longer races after college cross country and track, you know, doing some half marathons and marathons. I even had a, a little bit of a triathlon phase, but I quickly mm -hmm. learned that I'm not a very good swimmer. <laughs> yeah, that's what I discovered too, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a typical runner, you know, you just sink like a rock in the water. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> even in a even in an ocean swim with the salt water and a wetsuit, I could barely be buoyant in the water. So <laughs> yeah. it was hilarious. Um and then, you know, professionally, I always knew that I wanted to do something in the running industry. I, you know, for a while I you know, was thinking the only opportunities are you've either got to be a pro runner or a coach at the high school or college level. And that really kind of narrows the opportunities that you can have if you wanted to somehow be involved in the running space. And, you know, for a long time, I thought, you know, I would love to go coach like a D3 cross country team at a college somewhere, or, you know, maybe do what my high school cross country coach did and sort of you know, be like the social studies teacher, the history teacher during the day, and then go coach cross country and track after school. You know, that seemed to me like a great life. Um, but then I realized I don't think teaching was really for me. And I didn't know what my plan was going to be. But in 2007, I bought the strengthrunning.com domain name just because I thought it was cool. Maybe I can do something with this, whatever, whatever I do with it. At least I have a cool name for a website. And at the beginning, my thought was, you know, maybe I could do some online coaching. I could do some virtual coaching. And so a couple of years later, I think it was 2009, I threw up a very simple static website. You know, it didn't have any updated content or anything like that on it. And I shouldn't have been surprised, but I didn't get any clients from that website. You know, it basically got no traffic. Nobody was coming to it. And, you know, I thought the old, if you build it, they will come thing was true, but mm -hmm. it's certainly not. So about a year later in 2010, I realized, I think I have to do something different 
if I want this idea of mine to sort of start taking shape and to grow and evolve. And that's when I started the strength running blog. Mm. I never really wanted to start a blog, but I kind of looked at it as a continuation of all the writing I did in college. Let me just publish two articles a week on topics that I think are not only going to be helpful for runners, but also are on topics that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. So I started that in 2010 and I really committed at the time, you know, I was publishing articles, you know, the, the, the week I got married, the week I was on my honeymoon, you know, articles were being published, you know, they were scheduled and all written beforehand, but I took the perspective that if I'm going to do this, I need to do it at hundred percent. I need to go all in. And then over time, I gradually, you know, wrote for other websites. I started a little, doing a little bit more on social media. I started the strength running YouTube channel and then the strength running podcast. And over time, you know, those little things just started helping one another. And it was a nice little flywheel effect. And here I am today. You know, I've got the Strength Running Podcast. It's one of the favorite things that I do on a weekly basis. I just love connecting with other runners and subject matter experts and really geeking out on what makes them tick, uh, what kind of training they're doing, how they think about their training. Those are the things that really interest me, both as a coach and a runner. And that's what I try to bring to the running community. Nice. Yeah. Good, good for you, man. I mean, you're, you know, you're firing on all cylinders and I, I like what you say there about, uh, you know, this thing was not built because you created any one piece of fantastic content, which, which you have, I'm sure that some of those, whether it was a, a blog post or an article or, you know, a YouTube video with someone super famous or whatever, I'm sure some of those got a lot of traffic and brought traffic to other pieces, but really mostly it was, it was the consistency. Um, you know, which I think we can all see the parallel with, with running, you know, a, a daily or, you know, mostly daily practice of running. The consistency is, uh, is where it comes through. And I would agree about podcasting, Jason. I'm, I, I think that I brought it into my life, um, too late. Like I had been thinking about it for a while. I'm like, oh, do I have the time? How, how am I going to edit it? You know, all these uh, things. And, and I knew that I would like it. Cause I, you know, like you, I love talking to people and I'm glad I finally pulled the trigger. Cause I, it's one of my favorite things to, to do as well. Yeah. It's so rewarding and it's so much fun. And, and I think for, especially for people who might be similar to us where, you know, you don't have a typical nine to five job. It's a great opportunity to, to have a little bit more social connection with folks. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm a work from home kind of guy yep. and I've been doing that for more than 10 years. Yeah. And so a decade in, I see the value in being able to chat with people and connect like this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Amen to that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you're an expert on running. You're also an expert on, on business and online business. You know, you've been the subject of many interviews and articles about entrepreneurship, uh, and, and that kind of stuff. So I want to touch on both those. We'll go through, uh, Jason and I have both said we got to cut ourselves off at an hour here. So we're going to go through, you know, some of these running topics that I want to pick your brain about. And then also some, um, business kind of stuff that I, I think will be valuable to the, to the listeners as well. So, um, let's start with, uh, the, the road versus trail. You know, I think most of your experiences is, is as a road runner. Most of my experiences is, is running on trails. What are your, what are your general thoughts? You know, why should someone who, who has been, been a road runner and likes road running, why should they think about 
getting on trails some and, and also vice versa. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, running is running. So of all the differences between road running and trail running, there are many more similarities. Mm -hmm. And look, if you're a good road runner, you're probably going to be a pretty good trail runner and vice mm -hmm. versa. So I don't want anyone listening to this to think that, oh, if I'm a trail runner, I shouldn't be doing any running on the roads. Or if I'm a road runner, I don't have the skills necessary to be good on the trails. No, we can certainly be good at both. They are extraordinarily complementary skill sets. Um, you know, I think my introduction to trail running was when I was in high school, I had a captain on the cross country team, just start introducing more of the conservation land around our town to us because there were trails that ran through it. And, and we typically had stuck to the roads. And so this one summer before cross country, all of a sudden, a majority of my base training mileage that summer was now on the trails. And we kept it up during the cross country season. And I got to say, it was way more fun. Mm. I love running on the trails. And I know both of us live in Colorado. We have access to some of the most beautiful, but also technical and demanding and difficult trails, I think, in the United States. Mm -hmm. With that said, I consider trail running to really be any off-road running, whether you're running in a park and you're on a nice crushed cinder path or maybe you're on a flat dirt path somewhere and there's absolutely no obstacles in your way. There's no rocks or roots or anything. I think there's real value from a training perspective in getting off the road and getting in some trail running, even if you have no interest in running a trail race. So you're gonna vary your foot strike from footstep to footstep, and that's gonna really help you reduce the your injury risk. Because mm -hmm. you know, if we are honest with ourselves, what are running injuries? They're repetitive stress injuries. If we can reduce the repetitive nature of running, we're gonna reduce our injury risk. So getting on some, some different types of terrain that are gonna be a little bit more varied, every footstep is gonna be a little bit different than the one before it. I think that's gonna really help us with injury prevention. You know, I mentioned too that Trails are just a lot more fun. I mm -hmm. would always rather run, you know, an easy five, 10, 15 miles, whatever the distance is on trails than on the road. I don't have to deal with any cars. It's just beautiful. The time goes by faster. I just feel like it fills my cup a lot more than running out on the road or on the sidewalk where I have to navigate people and curbs and stoplights and all those things that are on the road that frankly are just a little bit annoying and can like disrupt your flow when you're out there on a run. Yeah. And then for the trail runners, I think we can get on the uh, get on the road too. There's benefits to both. You know, I sort of look at both trail running and road running, you know, if you're thinking about it from a training perspective, these are training tools. They can help you accomplish different things. So, if you're a trail runner, you can get on the road and really worry about pace in a much more precise manner than if you were out on the trails, you know, because of that uneven surface, because of the more varied nature of trails, it's harder to really dial in a certain pace. Now, of course, the track is probably the best place to really dial in a particular pace and really be precise with a certain workout or, or type of effort that you want to get in on the day. But the road is probably the next best option where the surface is going to be pretty fast because it is pretty hard. You're going to get a lot of energy return from it. And the surface is also a lot more uniform. So you're not dealing with, you know, all of the different things you might see on the trail. 
course, you get to deal with potholes and curbs and things like that. But generally speaking, that can be a little bit more expected than what you find on the trails. So I'm a little bit agnostic, you know, road running, trail running. They're all great. Running is running. Each has its own pros and cons. Um, but when it comes to just easy runs, I would love to see more runners just get out on the trails. It's more fun. There's injury prevention benefits. And, you know, I think you'll also develop a little bit more athleticism and general coordination if you're navigating those that type of terrain over if you're just running on the sidewalk all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all that, Jason. How about um, metrics? Uh, you, you know, we got these GPS watches, we got heart rate, we've got some of these, uh, you know, even running power meters, uh, you know, various things that we might look at. Do, do you recommend athletes look at uh, different metrics between trail and road running, whether that's in the moment, like what you're seeing on your watch, or maybe afterwards, if you're looking on a you know, on a platform like training peaks or Strava or something. Yeah, sure. The metrics I think are really important. Look at the end of the day, metrics are sort of what we are judged on as runners. You know, how far did you run? How fast did you do it? What was the workout? What were your splits? So the metrics certainly are important. I think the metrics start to be, let me rephrase. I think some metrics start to be less important when you're out on the trails. Mm -hmm. So you know, your, your pace can be very inconsistent when you're running trails, you know, depending upon the altitude, the elevation changes, whether or not you're dealing with really technical trails, or maybe just a super flat, you know, hard packed dirt trail where you can really fly. So the pace is not going to be very even. You know, I remember when I first moved to Colorado, going up into the mountains and, and having some some miles that were, you know, 645 and some miles that were, you know, closer to 15 minutes because they included a fair amount of walking yeah. because you're just dealing and you were with working some... hard though. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're at high altitude on a steep hill. <laughs> right. Yeah. The 15 minute mile might've taken more out of me than the 645. Um, so pace can be a little bit tricky out on the trails. So runners maybe have to pay a little bit more attention to effort. Um, the other thing that the road is going to be a little bit more uh, amenable to is, you know, the opposite of what the trail is. So pace is harder on the trails, pace is easier on the roads. So you can really dial in a pace on the road, granted that you're not dealing with significant elevation changes because you can do that on the roads as well. Um, now, the other metrics I think are great for both road running and trail running. You know, I think heart rate is another big one that, we're paying a lot more attention to, especially now with, you know, this, this quote unquote, new metric heart rate variability, that's become a little mm -hmm. bit more popular over the last year or two. Um, and, and I think heart rate on the trails is likely a little bit more important because your pace is that much more inconsistent. You know, I was just sort of joking that that 15 minute mile out on the, in the mountains was harder than the 645 heart rate is going to you know, really tell you what the effort is like, because all of a sudden the pace doesn't really mean much. Mm -hmm. I just did a 15 minute mile that that's basically, you know, a, a quick power walk for me, but my heart rate was 175 the whole time. Yeah. So yeah. heart rate is going to really uh, much more accurately tell you what your effort is like, as opposed to pace, which again, kind of falls apart when you're out there on the trails. Um, is there, is there a particular metric that you want to dive into a little bit more? I think, you know, pace and heart rate are probably the two that 
are are most interesting to runners, I would say, and also, um, you know, are a little bit diametrically opposed compared with road running and trail running. Mm -hmm. So in trail running, less about pace, more about heart rate, maybe perceived effort, just generally, how do you feel? And then on the road, you can dial it in a little bit more and focus more on pace. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I, I, uh, I think, you know, if, if someone's been running on the road and they've had their watch beeping every mile, which could be a, a good indication for road training or especially a, a workout, or maybe you're trying to, maybe you're training for a marathon and you're, you know, kind of trying to hone in a specific pace that, that beep could be a great tool. Um, if you get on the trail, you know, for my athletes who I coach, I, I tell them, turn that off. And, and because you said there's so much variability don't worry about instantaneous pace, but maybe afterwards, let's look at, okay, what was the distance? What was the total vertical gain and loss? And what was your, your average pace over that time? Cause that could be very helpful in, in training for, uh, for a trail race, for example. For sure. And you mentioned vertical gain, which I think yep. um, a little bit more in your world, that's mm -hmm. much more important, Travis, when you're yep. dealing with not only trail runners, but ultra marathon runners who typically mm -hmm you know, are looking at any given race, maybe it's the Leadville 100, maybe it's a shorter 50 K, yep. but you know, some of these races, especially near us here in Colorado have so much vertical gain that it then becomes a worthy metric to track. Yep. Whereas, you know, if you're training for the Chicago marathon, you probably don't have to worry about your vertical gain, you know, yep. in your weekly training. Yeah. Yeah. You might, uh, you know, for someone training for Chicago, I could imagine you might write a long run of, uh, you know, run this many miles at this pace. And, and I might say, you know, do, do a, a long run, uh, with about this much vertical gain and loss, um, you know, and don't, don't look at the pace. Yeah, that's right. And would you focus a little bit more on time? You know, I might say, go run 20 yep, miles exactly. as you're training for Chicago. You might say, go run for three hours. Yeah. Yeah. I, most of the workouts I write, you know, again, this is more of the, you know, ultra and trail type athlete. Most of them are based on time and heart rate zones. Uh, typically the long run, um, I do put a mileage goal as well. And, and I would say, let's try to hit this amount of miles with, uh, again, the, the relative vertical gain and loss of, of your upcoming event. And ideally on similar, you know, terrain if you can. Yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear how coaches think about prescribing mileage versus yep. time when it comes to individual runs, because, you know, I, I don't actually think there's too much difference between mm -hmm. the two. I don't yeah. really get too bogged down between one approach or the other. You know, I just actually yep. fielded a couple questions over the, about this in the last week or so. And it was interesting to hear how it, this was in a comment thread on one of my YouTube mm. videos. So it was mm -hmm. interesting. Other people were chiming in and it was, it was striking to see how many runners were fairly ideological about this. So you've got to do distance. You've got to do time. Mm. I don't mm -hmm. think it really matters either way. Yeah. I probably err on the side of distance a little bit more just because running is, is more about distance than it is mm -hmm. about time. It's more about, you know, okay, you're running a 50 K. How fast can you do it? You're yeah. running a, a mile or a 5k, whatever the race distance might be. So I tend to use distance more than time, but at the end of the day, I don't think it actually matters very much at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, some people do get dogmatic about things, whether it's <laughs> running or, or other topics in life. Um, the only so thing I'll be dogmatic about is not saying full marathon. 
<laughs> that's that's right. Oh yeah. I've heard you talk about that on other. Yeah. Tell us the, tell us the, well, that, I think that comes from, you got the half marathon, but why, why is the term full marathon inappropriate, Jason? Oh, this just gets me all riled up. I mean, it's a little <laughs> bit silly, but a full marathon is redundant. Yeah. A full marathon is a marathon. It's a marathon. Exactly. Yeah. The word full is 100% unnecessary. And it's just, it's just fluffy, powdery language that doesn't mean anything. And mm -hmm. you will never see that written like on a race website. And if you do, they've made a mistake. Yeah. You yeah. will see the Chicago marathon. Yeah. I wonder why they don't call it the Boston full marathon. <laughs> Actually, that's a trick question because it's not a thing. It doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. exist. <laughs> I can get, I guess so. I get, That's I get funny. all now, Yeah. No, now that I think about it, I mean, if you were even to say a, a 50 K ultra, the word ultra, you know, if we assume the word ultra means something further than a marathon, not a full marathon, but further than a marathon, th then we don't need the 50 K that's, that's further than a marathon. We don't need the word ultra. You know, I haven't thought about that, but you're right. The the ultra is a little bit repetitive at the end of that. It would yeah. only work if someone didn't know how long 50K was. Yeah. So you might want to, but yeah, you know, I think you're right on that. It's yeah. just, let's just call it a, a 50K. Okay. Well, race directors, <laughs> listen up. <laughs> um, so I was going to say building on the, on the heart rate thing. Um, another topic that's been on my mind is, is COVID and supporting athletes, you know, we're, here we are, you know, a couple of years into this, we, we know more and more, um, you know, again, neither you nor I are, are, are doctors or anything, but, um, you know, we coach athletes who, who have had COVID. I've had COVID uh, a couple of times, you know, we've seen a whole range of experiences. We've done some, some reading about it. Um, any takeaways or things that you're telling your clients, whether it's during COVID, after COVID, uh, are there additional metrics or things to look at? Um, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's certainly been a, a wild couple of years as we've all started to adapt to this new reality. And I'm about three months since my COVID experience. I had it at the very beginning of June. Mm. And I think what I'm learning from from really talking to to many other smart people who are much more well versed in this topic than I am, you know, I had uh, uh, Megan Roche on yep. the podcast a little while back, and she's a medical doctor. I believe she's getting her PhD in epidemiology. Uh, she's also at one point was one of the best trail runners in the world. I think she was the U.S. Trail Runner of the Year at one point, and. Uh, has coaching experience with other extraordinarily high level trail runners. So when Megan talks, I listen. And mm -hmm. I think one of the things I'm learning, number one is it affects all of us very differently. And that variability is frustrating. It injects this element of uncertainty into it all. And so if you get COVID, you really don't know how you're going to fare with it, right? Mm -hmm. It's this guessing game. And some people have an asymptomatic case. They, they barely even know that they have COVID. Other people feels like a cold, other people in the hospital. And unfortunately, some people haven't made it through their episode of COVID. And uh, I, I think just embracing the uncertainty of it all and knowing that you've got to just experience what happens before you make a plan, because you can't make a plan without knowing exactly how you're going to deal with your particular case of COVID. 
So number two, I think the other thing that I'm learning is that it is far better off to be more conservative with your recovery than less conservative. You know, I, I like to tell runners, take some time off. This is not the time to try to balance your COVID recovery and your training for this upcoming marathon. You know, it's, it's not, let's figure out how to do both because we can't, we can't do both. We've got to recover first and then get back on the horse and start training again. And so I like to see runners probably take five to 10 days off of running, depending on the severity of their COVID. And, and that's typically for more quote unquote, moderate or even minor cases of COVID. You know, if you have a more severe case of COVID, you might have to take well more, much more than 10 days off from training. Um, and, and that's just kind of the nature of it. And it seems like taking it easy in the very beginning stages does have some effect on whether or not you might come down with long COVID in the future. So I think we've got to prioritize our general health before performance. General health always comes first and we can't be sacrificing our health so that we can go on a five mile run. You know, like at the end of the day as a coach, I don't care about you going on a five mile run or even mm -hmm. a 10 or 15 mile run. If it sets your recovery back another week or two, or it increases the odds that you might have long COVID and then all of a sudden you can't run at all, you know, um, you know, I had the, the great pleasure of spending some time with author and coach and runner, Matt Fitzgerald, yep. uh, just last month. And he's unfortunately been dealing with long COVID for about two years now and really yep. hasn't run at all. And this is a guy who loves running. I mean, this guy is obsessed with running. Like it is his life's calling, you know, it, it, it is just a huge part of his life. And, uh, you know, he got COVID very early on before we really knew as much about it as we do now. But I think it's in all of our best interests to focus on treatment first. Let's not try to do two things at once. Let's be more conservative with the way we approach our recovery so that at the end of the day, we can get back to doing what we love running and not have that COVID, you know, still linger with us for weeks or even months. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, many of us runners, uh, are, are not hardwired for, uh, the thing we call patience. And, what? uh, <laughs> um, and I, th I think patience is huge here. And honestly, for, for me, that's informed my role as a coach of, you know, helping people be, be patient. And, you know, when we talk about long-term general wellness, uh, having the view that that's actually supporting performance because, you know, you're going to, your, your performance is if, if you, if you don't have long COVID, if you're good and healthy, I mean, it's going to be so much better. Um, yeah. And quick shout out, shout out, uh, Matt Fitzgerald, uh, the other Fitzgerald, we got two of these, I don't think you guys are brothers, but man, two of the, two of the best, uh, writers in running and, and Matt has a new book, um, coming out called on pace. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to interviewing, uh, Matt about that on this podcast. And uh, maybe you should, uh, too, Jason, or maybe you already have, it looks like a pretty good book. Trust me, he's on my list. And, All right. Matt and I, while we're not related, we do like to say we are brothers from another mother. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I've learned a ton from both of you from, uh, you know, reading yourself and following. Um, so let's see. How about, um, how about fueling? Um, any, you know, trends? What are you seeing? What are you, 
you know, telling people, recommending. We we have. Uh, I I feel like you know maybe ten years ago, like uh, there there weren't many fueling products on the market that had a good way to develop or excuse me to deliver a high amount of carbohydrate. Uh, you know, into the body while working at a at a relatively high rate. Um, now we have you know some of these new things, whether it's uh, Morton's or scratch super fuel, or, you know, some of these others where, you know, athletes are maybe taking in, uh, hundred grams of carbohydrate per hour. That's 400 calories, uh, you know, while working hard. And again, let's say a marathon type effort where, you know, you're not sprinting, but like you're, you're working really hard and can actually digest and use that much. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? What's, what's the latest? What are you telling people to do in different training, different races? I mean, we could talk about this all day, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wish all these products were around 10 years ago when I was sort of at my peak and, yeah. and racing at, you know, running my PRs because, yep. you know, I look back at how I approached the marathon in particular and, you know, coming from a cross country and track and field background where you don't think about fueling at all, you know, yeah. what's the longest event you're going to race? It's 10 K. You don't have to worry about 10 fueling in a 10 K. I mean, you're going to be done in, you know, 30, 35 minutes or somewhere in that range for a college athlete, you know, even someone who's running 45, 50, 55 minutes probably doesn't need to really fuel for a 10 K. And so, yeah, it's such an amazing time to be a runner, I feel like, just because all of these products are coming on the market and the entire running market is just becoming more mature. So mm -hmm. from a fueling perspective, we now have, number one, a whole variety of products. So 15 years ago, if you didn't like Gatorade or Powerade, you were sort of out of luck because those were the only two brands on the market. So now you know, if someone's like, oh, you know, I, I can't really eat anything when I run now, I'll give them much more pushback. No, no, no. There's products out there that you can experiment with. You can find something that works for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing too, is that now there are some products that have been shown to actually work better than just straight up sugar or glucose, or, you know, some of the more basic forms of carbohydrate, yep. uh, fructose that's on the market. And you mentioned Morton's and, and I think Morton's is the classic example of a type of fuel that has been shown in studies to be, uh, better absorbed and then delivered to your working muscles in a much faster way, but also in a way that's not going to irritate your stomach nearly mm -hmm. as much as potentially another product on the market. Now, sure, there's a lot of variability with people and some people might really be bothered by Morton's. So you've, you, again, you've got to sort of find what works for you. Um, but the other thing too, is that because we talk a lot more about fueling, because fueling has been studied a lot more, I think one of the things we're coming to learn is that not only can we, but we should take in more fuel when we're running. And this was difficult for me because, you know, again, from my background, it wasn't something I ever really thought of. And even when I was running 10 miles, half marathon, marathon distances from, I would say 2008 through 2014, it still wasn't nearly as uh, uh, popular or talked about today. So mm -hmm. I didn't fuel as much as I should have. And I look back, I'm like, man, I could have probably gotten another couple minutes on my marathon PR if I had just fueled appropriately and 
not kind of dug myself into a hole with, in a calorie deficit early yeah. on in a race, you know, just taking a couple of gels that probably wasn't cutting it. It was better yeah. than nothing, yeah. but it, it wasn't the full, the full potential of what I could do. Um, so now I think it's great. You know, runners are in such a good position. There's a lot of options available. There are options that have been scientifically shown to work better. And we know a lot more about how much fuel that you should be taking in. Mm -hmm. Um, so now I think I forget what the golden rule or kind of classic recommendation is at this point, but in a marathon, I think 60 to maybe 75 grams of carbohydrate per hour. And ideally you split that up into two, you know, two feeding sessions. We'll pretend we're livestock here. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, maybe once every half an hour you'll take, you know, either a a high carbohydrate gel or some sort of mixed beverage where you get it in, in a powder form. Um, and, and that is giving you so many more calories, so many more grams of carbohydrate that is really helping a lot of runners avoid hitting the wall and bonking in the marathon. And, uh, I'm sure at the, at the ultra marathon distances, it's becoming, you know, more popular too, even though, I mean, you guys are eating like ham sandwiches and, and bowls of (laughs) soup. And (laughs) it's like a, it's like a 24 hour buffet. You just have to <laughs> yeah. run hundred miles in between. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. And, and yeah, as the race gets longer, I do think more flexibility. So, you know, we may have, again, here's product X. This has been the best thing in training. It tastes great. It never makes me sick. Well, like you said, 24 hours, like, you know, it may or may not <laughs> be a good fit that long. So have, have some multiple options in mind and also be flexible if the gut does go south well here's the mashed potatoes that they have at leadville man that's a you know it's it's carbohydrates it's a heck of a lot better than nothing it's actually weird how many runners i saw at leadville this year because i went up that day Mm -hmm. to 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 watch and to cheer yep how many people had like instant mashed potatoes in a ziploc bag and and it was all mashed up and they would just kind of squirt it into their mouth it was like a homemade gel that they had done yeah, I have um, force fed a lot of runners mashed potatoes at the Leadville 100 uh, as a as a pacer and uh, air quotes friend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, at, at Leadville, the Leadville aid stations are famous for for mashed potatoes and uh, and ramen noodles. And, uh, you know, they're they're warm in the middle of the night. They put a lot of sodium in both of them. And again, it's a simple carbohydrate. You know, if you're having trouble getting the usual stuff down, um, try this other stuff. And yeah, I, I think I need to get into another ultra Travis. Cause I've, I've really only attempted one. Mm. I, mean, I had to pull out with an injury. Um, yep. it was the dirty 30, 50. Oh yeah, dude. That's a man. That's a hard one. Yeah. The dirty K 50 K ultra or, or 50 K is <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. <laughs> hard one. Just, just West of golden in um, what golden gate Canyon. It's a, yeah, that's a that's tough right. race, man. It's the, the Hills are unrelenting. Travis, why didn't you tell me this six years ago when I had to talk <laughs> yeah. out with a knee injury? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I probably shouldn't have chosen an an ultra, my first ultra with almost eight thousand feet of gain and loss. It was yeah. a it was a brutally difficult race that I don't yeah. think I was fully prepared for. But I was amazed at the aid stations, Travis. Like the amount of food that they had, the variety. It, it was like a picnic lunch. You would never know that this was an ultra marathon aid station. You just thought <laughs> yep. it was a somewhat unhealthy picnic that a family had brought to, to the middle yep. of the woods, yep. but it was amazing. All the, the, the actual real foods that they had out there. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, you could easily uh, overeat for sure. Um, and, and I would say final thing on fueling, and, and I'm sure you talk with athletes about this as well. You got to practice it, um, especially I think on, on the long runs, whether you're training for a marathon or an ultra or a half marathon practice that, that fueling on your long run. So you can find out what works, what doesn't work. Can you develop a, at least a baseline plan of, again, like you said, every half hour, I'm going to take this in, you know, in an hour, I'm going to get this amount of carbohydrate, this amount of sodium, and maybe about this much water, um, figure out that plan. Cause it's going to vary from, from person to person. Oh, for sure. I couldn't agree more with that. You know, I think we've all heard the line that you shouldn't try anything new on race day. Um, you know, we've all done it. Yes, we've all done it. (laughs) And it it is a rule that can be bent and broken, of course, but for the most part, I really like it. Um, and it's one of those things that you have to do in training so that you can identify any problems with your fueling approach, because maybe you do have some issues with it. You know, maybe it's, it's a great plan on paper, but you know, like every plan, you know, kind of falls apart at first brush with reality. Maybe it doesn't actually work for you when you get out there. Maybe you need something different. Maybe the timing of things has to be different. Um, I I remember reading a story about Des Linden, the marathoner who won Boston a couple of years ago. She's one of our best marathoners. And is a story of her getting ready for her next marathon. And she's on the side of the road, like vomiting up her gels and, and drinks that she's been having yeah. because she hadn't been practicing her fueling and she needed to train her gut to process yeah. that fuel while she was running at her goal marathon pace. And it's a process. It takes a little bit of time. And I know that, you know, all of us are a little bit different, but if, if a runner is having issues being able to hold down a gel or blocks or chews or a drink or whatever it might be, it does take a little bit of practice. It does Absolutely. take practice. It does take, uh, you know, a little bit of experimentation. You think of yourself as a scientist. You're out there just trying to see what works. But, you know, if you're ever feeling down on yourself, just remember that uh, previous Boston Marathon winner, Des Linden, is also on the side of the road with you, throwing up her gels, going through this process, just like all of us. And so I think if she can do it, we can, we can hang on and train ourselves (laughs) to do it too. I like it, man. Sometimes puking's part of the deal and, and record in your training log again, whether that's training peaks or something you work with, with your coach, I I tell people on those long runs, write down, what did you consume? When did you consume it? And how did it work? And then as the race comes up, look back, you know, it it doesn't, it doesn't take sometimes these extra things. It's like, Oh, I'm not going to take the time to write that down. Or I'm just going to remember what I had take that extra five minutes and then go back and actually look, um, and learn. And when you, like you said, Jason, if you're adequately fueled, you're not going to hit the wall during that training runner race, but your recovery is also going to be so much faster. So, you know, maybe your, your long run, maybe it's 10 miles or 15 or 20 or whatever it is. And you think, oh, I don't need that much fuel to make it through that. That might be true. But I bet one day, two days, three days later, you're going to feel a lot better if you didn't get dehydrated and calorically depleted. Yeah, there's so much truth in that. And, you know, I I have experience with this on both sides of it. You know, I used to in 2009, 10, 11, I just remember going out for a 20 mile run and I, Travis, I would rock this run. And I would do it with a couple sips of water at a water fountain. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And I look back on it. It was like, yeah, I could do it, but 
the rest of my day was very challenging. Yes. You know, I, I had to focus a lot on recovery, on eating a lot of food, taking a nap would mm -hmm. be really kind of necessary for me. And if I had fueled better, both, you know, during my marathons, which we've talked about, but also during training, I think I would have gotten more out of those runs. I would have had more super compensation afterwards. And I probably would have just improved the effectiveness of my training. And uh, yeah, just so many things I would have done differently, but hopefully we're, we're helping runners avoid our own mistakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Welcome to life, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's see, let's do one more running topic and then get into some more of this business stuff for, uh, you know, what do they call it? SEO, man, I, I can hardly even remember what SEO means. Um, <laughs> but uh, so strength. Um, you, you know, your, your platform, it's called strength running. Where, tell, tell us where, where does the strength come from? And, you know, a lot of runners, like, you know, we get into this thinking like, okay, I have 90 minutes to exercise today. So I, I'm going to run for 90 minutes and that's all I'm going to do. And, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have this yoga, this mobility, this strength, upper body, like, you know, ah, heck with that. I'm just going to run. Um, why, why should we not run? Why should we maybe allocate some of that time to strength? Yeah, it is very important. And, and in my mind, I don't even really consider strength training to be cross training. I think mm. it's just part of the training we runners need yes. to stay healthy, to achieve our, you know, the peak performances that we're looking for. You know, if we are really looking to be high performing runners, if we want to run PRs, if we want to challenge ourselves, if we want to keep pushing the envelope, we've got to take care of our body. And so in my mind, strength training does a bunch of things for runners. I mean, number one, I think the number one thing that we should be looking at strength training as uh, a training tool that helps us prevent injuries. So running is uh, an impact sport. You know, we're not getting tackled out on the field by other people, but we are hitting the ground with our body that hundreds of times a minute and each footstep has two to five times your body weight. We've got to be able to guard ourselves against those impact forces and really protect the areas where we get most of our injuries. You know, most of our injuries happen in our connective tissues. You know, whether we're talking about IT band syndrome, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendinopathy, you know, these are all injuries of tendons and ligaments and the connective tissues in our joints. And strength training, particularly, you know, some heavier weightlifting in a gym or a home gym can really give you that kind of strength. It will toughen up those connective tissues and then also make you stronger from a muscular sense so that you can better absorb some of the, the impact of running. So injury prevention is a huge reason why runners should uh, get into a good weightlifting habit. And then there's so many other benefits too. I mean, like if you're lifting heavy weights, uh, you will be a more coordinated athletic runner. You will have better running economy. You know, I will never forget a strength coach telling me that weightlifting is really just coordination training under resistance. Mm. And if you can maintain good form when you're deadlifting and squatting and doing some of those basic fundamental movements, and you can do that under stress, under heavy load, you're going to be much more likely to, to have better form and kind of keep your, your efficient running economy when you're out there running as well. So it's going to give you a little bit more physical tools to accomplish that task. Um, 
And then of course it's going to make you run faster. You know, that's kind of the thing that most of most runners are looking for. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do think staying healthy and improving your economy and efficiency are indirect ways of getting faster, but then you also get very direct benefits that help your speed. You know, if we think about it, when we are lifting a heavy weight, we are by necessity recruiting as many muscle fibers as we can. It's very similar to, you know, going for a three or four hour run where you're going to start really fatiguing a lot of your muscle fibers, particularly, you know, the slow twitch muscle fibers, they're the ones that you're using the most. And those are the ones that are going to fatigue first, but then you start recruiting some of your fast twitch fibers. And so by fatiguing your muscle fibers with a very long run, you're actually getting faster. Similar things happen when you do things like, you know, when you sprint, when you sprint again, you're recruiting all of your muscle fibers. And so that is a strength building activity if you're doing it safely and gradually. Mm -hmm. And then strength training is the more direct way of getting stronger because, you know, you're actually doing the activity that directly improves your strength. And the same thing is going on. You're recruiting a lot of muscle fibers and improving the coordination of those fibers as they try to lift up a very heavy weight. So lots of things to love about strength training. Um, And I I think the other thing too, is if we're being strategic with our strength training, you know, we're not trying to lift for endurance, you know, we're not trying to do four or five sets of 30 reps. And then on the other side of that spectrum, we're not trying to be a bodybuilder. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't need to go in the gym five days a week. We don't need 90 minute strength training sessions. We don't need to isolate individual muscles and do things like, you know, buys and tries day or back day or things Mm -hmm. like that, you know. If you want to throw in some bicep curls just because you want to look better at the beach, I don't have any problems with that, you know, but let's first make sure that our weightlifting is really in service of our running. And we can do that by, you know, kind of lifting for strength and power instead of hypertrophy or muscle size or endurance. So if we're lifting for strength and power, you know, we only have to lift twice a week. We only have to do a 45, maybe 60 minute weightlifting session. And that is going to dramatically improve all the different things we've talked about. So I love strength training, even though I don't actually like to do it. You know, I I'm with you. I'd rather go out, run the 90 minutes than actually get in some strength training. But I recognize that if I want to be able to do the thing that I love, which is running, I've got to make time for the ancillary activities that really support my running. And I consider strength training to be one of the best things you can do to support your running. Yeah, man. So, so good. So much good there. I love just that view of, um, this strength work. It's, it's not like cross training or extra credit. Like this is a key part of the training. Um, and I I also think, uh, for aging athletes and we're all aging athletes, you know, some of the folks we coach are aging athletes who are still getting faster and probably will for some time, you know, other, others of us are, we're, we're trying to slow down the slowdown. And, uh, one of the things that, um, Joe Friel, who's kind of one of the original, you know, authors and scientists in the, in this training performance space, um, he talks a lot about that, uh, strength is increasingly important, uh, especially as, as we age and, um, you know, the body naturally, if, if we don't do it, we'll, we'll lose strength and muscle mass. Yeah, for sure. I think for anybody who 
wants to have a very long running career. You know, maybe they're in their 30s right now, like I am. I'm knocking on 40s door. I'm almost 39. But, you know, I want to be running for a very long time. I really love this sport. And I know that if I want to be doing it for a very long time into my 50s and 60s and maybe even 70s and 80s, I've got to be getting stronger so that I can counteract some of the catabolic effects of running. You know, if you're just running a lot, you're not going to be putting on any muscle. And, you know, I I think for men, at least we lose about 1% of our muscle mass every year after the age of 40 or so, if, if we're not trying to maintain that muscle mass. So even if you're exercising a lot with running, you're still going to be losing muscle mass, especially if you're a master's athlete or beyond. So it's not just for performance. It's also for our general health. It's to prevent us from, you know, the, the risks of falling as we get into, you know, our senior years. Um, so I, I look at it as, as an essential and, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, I, I like how you think about it as not cross training. It's just part of the training. Um, it, it'd be very interesting to take that runner mindset of only running and apply it to a different sport. Like mm. Travis, could you imagine a football player? who mm. only wanted to train by playing the game of football. Yeah. Right. It seems a little bit weird, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. Okay. So you have a football player who's, who's not going to do any running. They're not going to do any sprints. Yeah. They're not going to do like any drills, any blocking mm-hmm. drills. They're not going to do plays. Yeah. They're not going to learn any of that. They're not going to get in the weight room and lift weights. Well, they're not going to be a very good football player, are they? Yeah. And they'll yeah. probably be smashed to pieces. Exactly. (laughs) To get good at the sport, you have to kind of break it down into some of its component pieces Mm. and work on those individually. We can do that as runners by getting in the weight room, working on strength and power. And then it has all those other ancillary benefits as well. So if you're not strength training, I think you should start today. Yeah, very good. All right. So seven minutes of business here. Everything we can pull out of Jason's uh, mind real quick. Um, Speaking of component parts, Tell us about your your own business. So you've got you've got the website. It has the blog. You have the YouTube channel. You have the podcast. You have your coaching, um, which I think is maybe a combination of like training plans plus more one on one coaching, maybe in a in a tiered system. Like if you were to break down your business, you know, even just roughly in terms of like percentages of income. How, how does that look? Or is that, is that something you're comfortable sharing just, you know, relatively how do these things break down? Yeah, I can certainly share some of that. So yeah, I mean, my business has uh, a lot of different pieces to it. I think that's a function of how old it is at this point. It's Mm. about 12 years old. Uh, I've been doing it full time for a little over 10 years. So I've sort of just added a couple pieces per year and over the years it's, it's grown into what it is today. Uh, and you're right. You know, the, the first thing I had was just the website. And then I, I started offering different things to my audience as I built up the, the blog audience and my email list. You know, at first I was offering, you know, one-on-one coaching, you know, virtual coaching. I'll be your coach. You'll get a custom training plan. We'll be in communication about it. And we'll do all the things that coach and athlete do. And then I realized a lot of runners want the custom training program, but not necessarily the ongoing communication and admittedly the ongoing cost of, mm-hmm. of a virtual coach. So then I started offering custom training plans. So 
you fill out this big questionnaire. I get to know you as a runner, what your goals are. And then I build a plan based on what your goals are in the time that we have. Um, I would say that, you know, I will combine coaching and training plans into one category of coaching. Cause those are like, a, that's a service that I will perform for a runner. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I offer runners are sort of training programs that I've created and I sell sort of on an a la carte basis. So I have a program called um, injury prevention for runners, which is all about how to stay healthy. There are treatment protocols for common injuries. So if you do have a niggle, you can do some self-treatment at home. Uh, there's training plans that prioritize injury prevention. So if you're an injury prone runner, you know, I've structured the training in a way that's going to be less risky from an injury perspective. Um, I've got a program on weightlifting for runners who so were just talking about strength training. You know, I have a program called high performance lifting where I partnered with a USA weightlifting national coach. We filmed some pro runners doing all the movements and it's this periodized 16 week weightlifting program that meshes really well with, you know, your 16 week running plan. Mm. And then I have a bunch of other programs on different topics from, you know, improving your mindset to, uh, nutrition for runners. I've got my version of couch to 5k, which is our beginner program. Uh, I have a body weight version of the weightlifting program. And I would say that these on your own training programs are probably the number one, you know, uh, source of revenue for mm-hmm. the strength running business. Um, and then the next one might be, this is actually starting to get into things I, I, I need to look up to be accurate about, but probably it's starting to become, um, sponsorships and brand deals mm. with different companies who want mm-hmm. to sponsor the podcast and our YouTube channel, mm-hmm. uh, because it's grown so much over the last couple of years that, you know, now I have pretty good interest in, in getting some of these companies on the podcast, which has been really great. Um, which has been really interesting to me because I have shied away from accepting any advertising for the vast majority of, of, you know, my time running strength running, you know, I've mm-hmm. never done banner ads on the website. Um, I almost never have accepted sponsored blog articles and, and only now am I starting to dabble in it. And it's very interesting because I, I probably turned down like 75% of the pitches that I get mm-hmm. um, a little picky with who I work with. And you know, I basically just want to make sure that the products are helpful to runners and that I believe in them personally. Yeah. Um, but those, those sponsorship deals are, are quickly becoming a, a non uh, marginal source of revenue for the yeah. business. Um, and then from there, I would say, you know, the, the coaching services, yep. you know, whether it's one-on-one coaching or, you know, those custom training plans. Yeah. Cool. Good for you, Jason. And uh, man, so much there. So, so many, it, it's such a dynamic offering. And and one key takeaway for me or for other people who are maybe building a, some type of entrepreneurial business is I loved at the start, you said, um, every year I added a couple things. And I think that's key. Cause if, if you're like right now, I'm going to, you know, offer boom, 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 all these different things that Jason's got here. If you try to do all of that from the start, probably none of it's going to be very good, but you know, you took it piece by piece and kept building. And, and because of that, it's all very good. And you also created, you know, a lot of this evergreen content where, okay, here's a certain program or offering, and this is a great thing now. And it, it'll still be a great offering three years later. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first thing I ever created was injury prevention for runners, 
I launched that in January of 2014. And mm. here we are, you know, eight and a half years later, and it still sells because it's, it's an evergreen program. The yep. way that runners prevent injuries isn't really going to change too much over, you know, the course of time. Um, and, you know, I will update programs uh, from time to time. Um, but yeah, the other thing too, which you mentioned, it's sort of like this slow and gradual approach. Mm. I've very much done that because number one, I don't want to burn myself out. You mm. know, I want to, not only do I want to run for the rest of my life, I want to be doing this for the rest of my life too, because yeah. I love the sport so much. And I also just don't want to burn my audience out. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not here just to like sell them stuff every single week. You know, I, I, I want to just very on a very basic level, help you accomplish what your goal is. Mm. And if it's just a pitch never ending, it's like, oh my God, I'm just getting burned out. This is too much. You know, I need to unsubscribe from this madness. And, and I get that. So, you know, I, I try to really only pitch my audience something, you know, once a month or once every two months um, and, and try to do it in a way where even if I'm selling something, I'm also teaching you something too. So even in a sales email, I want you to pull out some actionable information. So even if you never decide to get a program from me, you know, you're still going to learn something about the topic that you can then apply to your running. So yeah. I think it's a really great idea to go slow, both for yourself and for your audience. And, you know, if you're ever struggling for ideas, talk to your audience. I mean, that's where I got all the ideas mm. for these programs and, and how they'd be structured and all that, because I was running surveys. I was... Yeah sometimes even getting on phone calls and just talking to people and getting a lot of qualitative feedback that really helped mold a lot of these programs into what they are today. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jason, good stuff, man. You, you got a lot going on. Uh, we'll, we'll call that good uh, for now. Um, really appreciate you sharing that. Is, is the strength running website, is that the best way for people to find you? Should they also find you on social media stuff? Yeah, all my socials are linked to from the strengthrunning.com site. So that's probably a good place to go. You can find the uh, Strength Running podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you do want to connect with me on Twitter or Instagram, the handle is JasonFitz1. And I'm usually posting, yeah, some sometimes helpful, sometimes just downright hilarious content on both platforms. I like to have fun with it. So good. good <laughs> happy to connect with anyone who wants to. Cool, man. Well, thanks again. Sure. Sure. Appreciate it. Let, let's make it more than uh, eight or nine years before we um, talk again and uh, keep keep it up out there. Always enjoy following your work. Yes, please, Travis. Thanks again. Cool. All right. See you, buddy. Have a good one. Take care. Thanks for listening to the show, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to keep listening to this podcast, support our sponsors who help me keep the lights on. Use their links and discount codes to support the Strength Running Podcast. First up is Inside Tracker, a company that's been around for more than 10 years that helps you optimize your health, longevity, and performance. Learn more at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning and use code STRENGTHRUNNING to save 20% on their entire store. This does represent a big cost savings, so don't miss out. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you do need to understand what's going on inside your body. People age at different speeds, and generic annual blood work doesn't always properly evaluate your biological age. But Inside Tracker does. Inside Tracker is a truly personalized nutrition and performance system designed to extend your health span and slow down the aging process. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, 
Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. You can add InnerAge 2.0 to any plan, and that'll calculate your true biological age to see how you're aging from the inside out. And for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store, no matter what test you're looking at. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash strength running. That's insidetracker.com slash strength running. I'm also grateful for the support of Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition really easy. I personally struggle with eating all of the healthy foods I know I should. I'm somewhat balanced, but hey, what can I say? I just love my pizza and I do like eating out. So I'm finding their product AG1 really helpful, especially when I'm training hard and I know that my nutrition is even more important. One scoop gives me 75 vitamins and minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a greens, superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps that might be in my diet because I know there are some gaps. And it also gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. And because I have three kids in school, I know I've got to support my immune system and I love that AG1 really supports that immune system. But what I really love about them is that AG1 actually changes over time. Over the last decade, they've made 53 improvements to the formula based on the latest research to make all those nutrients more absorbable and more rigorous with third-party testing. Go to athleticgreens.com Jason, and you'll see the great offer they've put together for our podcast listeners. You'll get a year's worth of free vitamin D, which also supports your immune system, and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can sign up for a single shipment or for a monthly subscription if you want to make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com Jason to sign up today. Okay, that's our show, my friends. Support us by using our sponsor links, by reviewing the podcast, or getting a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com coaching. And I'm always here to help. So don't ever hesitate to reach out to me through the Strength Running site, or you can message me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is JasonFitz1. We'll be in touch soon. 